0: Podcast from Aberdeen Investment Trusts.: Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Cherry Raynard and with me today is Ben Ritchie. We're here to chat through some of the key issues facing the UK stock market today and look at how that's influencing positioning on the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. Welcome Ben. Yeah. I wonder if we could start with the news on inflation. Um, it's now above 5%, which was ahead of expectations. Uh, we've had the IMF telling the Bank of England to raise rates. Um, what are you expecting on inflation and interest rates in the year ahead? And how is it affecting your uh, kind of analysis of companies and your positioning in the trust?
1: Yes, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a great question and clearly something which is attracting a lot of attention at the moment. I, I personally of the view that... A lot of the inflationary pressures which we're seeing are being caused by disruption, you know, that has been delivered as a result of COVID. And I think as long as the pandemic uh, continues to disrupt supply chains at the same time as demand remains strong, that we're probably likely to see elevated levels of inflation. I think that does create interesting question marks for policymakers when ultimately is raising interest rates going to effectively uh, diffuse some of the inflationary pressures. Well, it, m- it might do, but not perhaps in the way that you you might want it to. So, I think there are some interesting challenges. Uh, but I do also think currently, with Omicron coming through, um, that that's probably likely to uh, allow the, the the central banks, uh, particularly the Bank of England, to stand back for another month or two and see how and see how that develops uh, as well. And it may potentially take some of the 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 steam out of out of demand which might help a little bit to alleviate some of those inflationary pressures so overall it's something which we're you know we're very aware of we're very focused on i mean the portfolio overall is a collection of very high quality companies Uh, their ability to manage cost inflation uh is very strong and their ability to put prices up to compensate for that again is, is robust so we're pretty relaxed on that side of things the bigger challenge i think is what does the rising interest rate uh, debt and not just the short end, but the longer end as well. What does that mean for valuations and the portfolio? Yes, we are perhaps a little bit more exposed um, uh, there. We do have some companies in the portfolio that have high multiples. Uh, but over the long term, Jerry, I have to say, you know, I don't really think we add a lot of value with our macroeconomic analysis. Uh, and I think the companies which we in the portfolio do just fine, really almost regardless of what happens uh, within, the, within, the, within the economy. So I'm relatively relaxed about it. Um, but we of course want to know how these factors are going to affect the portfolio in the short term. But over the medium to long term, I'm I'm very comfortable with where we are.
0: I mean, I guess leading on from that, the, the UK consumer has been an important engine of economic recovery in 2021. There seem to be some pressures mounting, I mean, not least inflation. Do you think it can continue the strength in the in the year ahead? I mean, I know you've got some consumer names in the portfolio? Are they, are they focused on particular areas?
1: Yeah, so I mean we certainly, I think it, it, it all depends I think in, in, on where companies appear in the value chain. So, you know, we do have quite hefty exposure to companies with, with consumer goods exposure, but actually, you know, we, we expect those largely global in nature, companies like Diageo or Unilever, for example, we expect those to, uh, to, to you know, certainly Diageo would be a relative beneficiary, Unilever will probably do okay in a more inflationary environment. But then we've got consumer-facing companies say at the retail end. And there, I think, yes, companies are potentially uh, at risk of being a bit more squeezed by the fact that that consumers have got less money to spend and also potentially seeing some of their margins go under pressure uh, from from higher input costs. Um, But again, with the kind of businesses we've got there, we do think they're, again, exposed to quite attractive long-term dynamics. So something like Pets at Home, which is the UK's Number one uh, pet retailer, both in store and, and and online. You know, we think that's a company that's benefiting from some good, attractive trends, very strong market position, um, good competitive position. So, you know, we're not particularly worried about near term pressures on the UK consumer affecting their affecting their performance. So, again, it's something which we which we keep a close eye on. But as we start always, from the principle of trying to find companies which we think are you know have strong business models and good long term structural growth prospects. You know, uh, the ups and downs in the short term of of, of consumer demand we hope are, are fairly manageable for most of the most of the businesses which we have. I mean, something like persimmon in the house building area. You know, again, it, could it be that 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 is something that that comes under a little bit of pressure? Perhaps, but again, it seems as if there's a fairly significant shortage of supply of new houses that should, I think, uh, support pricing and and demand remains relatively robust. So I think you need to see a fairly big economic road bump uh, to see that that sort of dynamic knocked off track. and i think I think while we're we're certainly seeing some headwinds, I don't think we see a uh, sort of a, a, a you know a ginormous economic uh, catastrophe uh, approaching us at the moment.
0: Uh, okay, that sort of answers my next question, which was um about the potential impact of omicron. I mean it, I, I guess you're naturally reasonably defensive because you've got this. Quality focus. But, but you still believe the recovery sort of has has legs and, and, and has momentum?
1: Well, I think as we go into 22, it's clear that there are a few more headwinds around. So put Omicron to one side. So even if we were having this conversation three weeks ago, we would have said, actually, from a corporate perspective, um, you've got higher inflation coming through. So that is putting a bit of pressure on margins. We've still got supply chain disruption to manage. So again, that's causing additional cost, making life a bit more difficult. The rate of economic growth is not as strong as it was earlier in the year, and that's really a function of you know, the annualization of the annualization of recovery. And then at the same time, you've got tightening monetary policy at the margins, or at least the prospect of it. Uh, and then you've also got gradually Uh, Fiscal support being withdrawn by governments, both in the UK and around the world. So there's a number of of headwinds. I would say none of those on their own and indeed even in aggregate are are a major headwind. But they all, I think, serve to slow things down a little bit. And if you add Omicron in as well. I mean, it is early days and it's very, very possible to look very stupid talking about things which we we don't necessarily have a, a full understanding of. But uh, I think if we look at what's happened with previous waves, it's definitely served to dampen demand. Um, but we have seen the economy adapt you know, remarkably well, really, to the restrictions and closures and so forth. Um, and so I suspect we'll probably see something similar, which where Omicron will dampen uh, consumer demand. It will probably push spending into other channels, as it has done. I also would probably expect that the government will not be as generous in terms of its fiscal support this time around. I suspect they would probably prefer not to offer additional support if they can get away with it, so we'll have to see, which may mean the near-term hit is a, is a little bit sharper uh, as well for, for, for consumers and businesses. Um, but I think, again, it's more likely to just be an additional uh, I think it's sort of um road a little, little sort of road bump, I would say at this point now, in three weeks' time that comment may look may <laughs> look very stupid, so let's see, but I think from where we are today, it's growing very fast, it's likely to cause quite a lot of disruption, but hopefully you know six to eight weeks time uh, uh, things are maybe looking a little bit more a little bit more stable
0: yeah let, let's hope so absolutely um. Turning to the, the trust in a bit more detail, um, your highest weighting is in financials. Can you talk a bit about uh, what type of companies you're holding and, and why?
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think in general across the portfolio, we have this, this sort of quality underpin. And occasionally we have to compromise a little bit to generate income and yield. So we will own some companies which are good companies, but they're not world class businesses because they're, they're paying you know, attractive yields. Um, and I think, in terms of the general solidity of the portfolio, I think it's high. Uh, but, but perhaps the, the bit of, uh, little bit of, I guess, perhaps one might say, sort of cynical spice that sits within the portfolio is, is, is within its financials. So we are, you know, fairly significantly overweight financials. But it's to a very diverse group of companies. So um, we have everything in there from banks. We own Nordea, which is uh, one of the largest uh, Scandinavian banks, They're very conservatively. Uh, run organization um, that should grow steadily. It's not an exciting uh, banking operation, but that's probably no bad thing. Uh, close to the home, we've got Close Brothers, which again, a you know, very conservative, high margin uh, uh, corporate lender. Um, again, a business where, you know, not lots of growth, but, but decent, solid long-term growth and very much run for the, for the long term. And then we've got uh, market infrastructure assets like LSE, for example. And then we've also got quite a lot of exposure in the savings an investments market. So we've got companies like Prudential, uh, with a big exposure to uh, the Asian uh, savings market through its life insurance assets out there. Um, we've got companies like uh, Ashmore, the asset manager. We own M G as well, which has a sort of combination of insurance and asset management. Um, and then on the on on the sort of general insurance side, we own uh, Direct Line, the, the UK uh, uh, the general house and car insurer. Um, again, a very cash generative. Uh, conservative run organization and then we have uh, Hanover Re, which is a German company, but it's the sort of I guess the European uh, version of Berkshire Hathaway, very very conservative, uh, great underwriting track record um, and an interesting niche to be operating in in the reinsurance market. So while financials as a whole looks large, it's actually dri- driven by a, a number of different companies which do have a number of a number of different fundamental drivers behind them. So it does add a little bit of a little bit of cyclical spice to the overall position in the portfolio. But it does it in, in quite different ways throughout the throughout the different holdings.
0: Okay, thanks. So, um, you mentioned a couple of them there actually, but you do you do keep a small weighting outside the UK. So where where is that portion currently invested?
1: Yeah, so we can invest up to twenty percent uh, in overseas companies, and we focus that uh, into Europe. Um, and the reason for that, there's a number of reasons. Firstly, that's the area of the market that I specialize in. So that, that makes sense to focus attention there. I think secondly, if we were to say, well, let's let's go global with 20% of the portfolio, I think you'd end up with a bit more of a random collection of businesses. You know, I must have an American one, a Japanese one, a Chinese one. and I'm not sure that necessarily would be optimal. But, but just by including uh, uh, Europe, you know, we increase the sort of opportunity set for us in terms of of, of, of large cap investments by a factor of about four or five. So just by adding that one market really does expand our opportunity set quite meaningfully. So that's why we why we why we focus on that area. And it really brings a number of things. First of all, it can allow us to diversify uh, high-yielding segments. So there are, there are other yielding options which we can choose from. And I think that was very helpful during 2020. Um, It also gives us access to areas of the market which you can't really get exposure to in the UK. So if you look at some of the holdings we've got, like like Hanover Re, it's not that easy to get scale reinsurance exposure within the UK market, or something like ASML uh, in the semiconductor manufacturing uh, machinery area. Again, there aren't really companies that do that type of thing in the UK, so we can get exposure to those sorts of areas. And then the third area, really, or or reason for, for focusing overseas is just that we can find um, uh, some really fantastic companies that can, that can bring, you know, what we think anyway are the potential of very attractive um, uh, total return opportunities. So, you know, when we put all of those things together, we think it sort of really helps us to diversify and differentiate the trust and also to improve the underlying quality of both the income and the, and the potential capital return as well.
0: And do you have any gearing on the trust at the moment? Yes, yeah, so we're
1: about 7% geared at the moment. I mean, over the long term, gearing is, has hovered somewhere between probably 7 is at the low end and you know, 10 11 12%. Um, we think that represents what you might call a kind of structural level of gearing, probably wouldn't reduce it much lower than that. Um, and that, I guess, gives a little bit more upside over time, um, helps offset some of the central costs through, hopefully, through some of the returns that we can generate from the, uh, from the gearing that we have. Uh, and, and it doesn't add a really material amount of volatility to the to the end outcome of the company. So I think it's always balancing that element of, I think, long-term markets go up. So I think it makes sense to have some structural gearing. We just want to balance making sure we don't make the portfolio too volatile as a result. I think that said, think probably the underlying level of structural gearing could maybe be a little bit higher. And it probably wouldn't significantly uh, affect the volatility of the portfolio and may uh improve returns a little bit as well over the longer term so it's something which we which we keep under review i think you know over time while we talk about it i think the sort of tactical gearing moves you know those those tend to you know not be something which we which we specialize in i think if we were to see significant market weakness as we did back in march 2020 we were happy to increase the gearing a little bit at that point you know if we were to see something happen again um we might we might we might well do the same, but it's unlikely to be dramatic, and then perhaps the one thing that we maybe need to have a think about is whether or not the sort of structural level of gearing should maybe be a bit higher, but we're talking two three percent you know whatever that is 10, 15 million pounds of additional gearing on a five hundred and twenty million pound trust so it's not it's not massive, but I think it helps improve returns over the long term
0: great okay and then and then just finally um a note that JP Morgan Investment Bank recently upgraded uh, the UK. The UK has spent such a long time out of favour and, you know, we thought that was changing at the start of this year. But, but actually, uh, its relative valuation position doesn't seem to have changed very much over 2021. Can you see that improving in 2022?
1: I think it all comes down, Cherry. I think, to why you think the UK has been such a poor investment over the last five or six years. And I think my view on this is really that the index has had big exposure in companies which, you know, frankly, have delivered poor uh, economic returns. So it's had big exposure to oil and gas, big exposure to mining, big exposure to banks, big exposure to a number of pharmaceutical companies. Now, Quite a few of those companies have had a really challenging time, you know, whether it's Shell or HSBC or Glaxo, those businesses over the last five or six years have not delivered um, great results. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons why the UK market is, has struggled because such a big part of it has been uh, in companies which have generally delivered fairly disappointing results. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't lots of really good opportunities underlying the market. Um, that can present great returns. It's just that the market is so dominated in terms of its index percentage, by these big companies at the end returns don't look particularly exciting. But I still think the UK has got loads of great opportunities for for, for stock pickers, Um, you know, much the same as when we look at Europe. I mean, the headline opportunities in Europe, you know, if you talk about the macroeconomics always look pretty disappointing, but actually there are some fantastic businesses to be able to invest in and take advantage. And I think the key thing for me when you think about the UK is 70 percent of the revenues of the UK market come from outside of the UK so you know there's always a lot of focus on things like Brexit but actually the economics are really being driven by something else entirely different so I think that's that's a really really important thing um, to bear in mind so we think there are lots of good opportunities lots of exposure both to domestic and also international revenues in the UK market so quite enthused about all of those things really I mean I think I think the UK is quite often seen as sort of a value market and strategists who are calling value to do well was they buy the UK um, but I'd say, actually, you know what, well, I don't think those calls have got a lot of value in them, really. Let's focus on finding the right companies. Um, let's find the companies which we think can perform well over the long term. Let's get that bit right. Let's own the Diageos that have done phenomenally well over the last 10, 15 years, and maybe not own some of the others that have been rather disappointing. And that's, I think, the key thing for investors to focus on. And that's what we're we're going to going to keep doing.
0: Great. Okay. Thank you, Ben, for those insights today. You can find out more about the trust at uh, www.dunedenincomegrowth.co.uk. And thank you so much for tuning in.
1: This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen.